This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to Enterprise BizBytes. It is Friday, the 1st of December, 2023. I cannot believe how quickly this year has passed. And if you want to get in touch with today's show, as per usual, get us via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. It is 018-789-8899. You can also get us on our favorite social media platform, that is X. We are at BFM Radio. Now, one of the things that we've been talking about, of course, for the past it feels like the entirety of this year is AI and generative AI, and it's become one of those topics where if I'm not talking about it in one day, it feels like I am not in touch with anything whatsoever. Now, we'll be exploring how Malaysian SMEs today can leverage on the growth of generative AI and what implications it brings to the business ecosystem as we head into 2024. Now, for a little bit of context, on the 15th of September, the Deputy Economy Minister, Datuk Hanifa Hajatayb, said that generative AI is expected to unlock an estimated worth of around 110 billion US dollars in productive capacity. Now, that's equivalent to one quarter of the country's gross domestic product compared to 2022. She also said uh, that generative AI has the potential to significantly contribute towards accelerated achievement of the objectives and aspirations of the 12th Malaysia Plan and the new Industrial Master Plan 2023 by driving innovation and economic growth. Now, there's an awful lot to unpack and which we'll cover most of them with our guests shortly. But the main focus today will be on the benefits of generative AI in automating complex tasks and what implications it will have on Malaysian businesses. Now, to help me with this, I've got uh, Sanjay Deshmukh, the uh, Senior Regional Vice President of ASEAN and India at Snowflake. They're a cloud computing-based data cloud company. And as I said earlier on in the show, if you want to get in touch, 018-789-8899 is our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. Sanjay, pleasure to have you here. Thanks, uh, Richard. Uh, you know, thanks for hosting us here. Uh, happy to join this conversation. Now, let's jump straight into things with with cloud adoption. I guess here in Malaysia. Now, in light of a uh, recent Forest of State of Cloud in Malaysia 2023 report, uh, what trends have you seen that's driving data and cloud adoption in ASEAN and specifically here in Malaysia? Yeah, I mean, I would say there are a few things at play here. Uh, the first I would say is the is how the the Malaysian government is encouraging everybody in the economy to uh, you know participate in the whole digitalization initiative, right? I mean, mm. the Malaysian government has an aspiration of becoming a leading digital economy uh, by 2030, and they have printed the they've shared the digital blueprint. I think it is very comprehensive and clear in terms of how they want to achieve that. Mm. I think that is the first reason that is driving and encouraging uh, many of the enterprises to uh, invest in digitalization and, of course, technologies like cloud and data and so on and so forth. So that's one. I would say government playing that part yeah. uh, to encourage businesses. Uh, the second thing I will say is that what is driving is, if you think about it the from a, from a company standpoint, and it doesn't matter what business you are in, you might be in banking, retail, manufacturing, whatever the business is, if you, you know, how do you differentiate? How do you win market share, revenue share? How do you differentiate, right? It is hard to differentiate at a product level. If you are a bank competing in other bank, your cost of money is the same. How do you differentiate? You cannot create a new product. The only way to differentiate is if I understand you as a consumer better, if I understand your needs better, if I'm able to make you make uh, the products and service that you need available at the time that you need, the moment that you need, that is how my business is going to grow and I'm, my revenue is going to grow as compared to anybody else. If you think about these questions, how do you get to that? The only way to get to that answers to those questions is data, right? 
So I would say what is driving uh, the adoption of technologies like cloud and data is really uh, the, the aspirations of companies to grow their revenue, to understand their customer better, to differentiate against others. That's the second factor that is driving the, the use of, uh, uh, you know, I would say cloud and data. And the last but not the least, I will say is that given the overall macroeconomic environment, there is a big push on efficiency and productivity. And it is also outlined very clearly in the government uh, digital blueprint. Uh, and again, if you think about it, um, you know, efficiency and, and productivity in simple word means doing more with less. Now, how do you get an answer to that question? If I'm a manufacturing company, I'm producing a product and I want to increase my productivity or efficiency by 30% or 25%, whatever the number is, how do I do that? Mm -hmm. Where do I start, mm -hmm. right? Many a times, answers to these questions are not obvious. And that's where you need technologies like data and AI to help you find these answers so that you're able to increase your productivity and efficiency. So I would say these are the uh, three you know, factors that are driving the adoption of data, AI, cloud, and technologies like that. Yeah, because that AI will identify things that you potentially haven't, you, you've overlooked maybe as a, as a business, or, you know, they haven't been highlighted perhaps, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I, and again, I would say the, the role of data and AI is going to grow exponentially because it's like this. It's like, if you, the more you digitalize your business, the more data you will get, the more data you will get, the more need for technologies like data and AI will be there in your business, right? Right. So, so it's it's like a, you know, it's like a chain that feeds itself. And hence, the, the the relevance and the need of this technology is, is going to grow exponentially. Yeah. I'm hearing it's going to grow at least by 34% in just one next year, I believe it is. That's, that's, that's the number that I've been reading so far. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, so uh, again, it depends on, uh, you know, which, what kind of companies you look at. But yeah, that, that that's the kind of growth that we are seeing pretty much in every sector, in every economy. Right. Now, of course, with... Uh, adoption come challenges, particularly in tech, uh, as we are very familiar with. And many organizations are, are considering this shift to cloud technology. Now, what challenges specifically do you think they face when it comes to leveraging and implementing these technologies um, effectively? Yeah, I would say three challenges. The first is a strategy uh, or a plan. Uh, and the reason I call that out as the first one is because what is happening is uh, because of all the hype in generative AI, I mean, it all started in the beginning of this year, end of last year, mm. uh, when ChatGPT was launched. Uh, and from that time onwards, as consumers, we all started using it. We all started asking crazy questions. Uh, and we start, we were surprised and shocked with the responses that we got. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I must say to the extent that my daughter started using it. My daughter's teacher started using it. Uh, I'm waiting for my mother to come to me and say that she's also started to use it. Right? <laughs> I, I, it is not got there yet, but I hope that it will be soon. It so, won't be too long. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. All that hype uh, reached the boardrooms uh, of companies, and and the CEOs and the board members started asking the the, the chief data officers and the CIOs, "What's our? Uh, how are we leveraging it?" Right? Yeah. And that hype kind of put pressure on people to start looking at, okay, let's start using it. Uh, and, and many of them jumped into it without really having a strategy or a plan. Uh -huh. So the first thing I'm saying is that that's a pretty risky strategy because if you're a consumer, it is okay to ask stupid questions or any kind of questions to chat GPT. But if you're a business, mm. imagine you're a business and you're sending your customer data to chat GPT and the data finds its place somewhere else. Mm. You've lost the trust of your customer. Mm. So, so that's why we say that the first thing that you need to consider is that you need to have a strategy in place. Uh, and most importantly, you need to recognize is that in order to have an AI strategy, you first need to have a data strategy mm -hmm. because it is data that powers AI. Uh, jumping straight into AI without having to figure out what your data strategy is, is a big challenge. Mm -hmm. So right, that's the first one. The second one I would say is the skills. You know, again, if you leave aside a few innovative leading edge companies, which are in the tech business, every other sector will have a challenge to hire and retain talent uh, who knows how to operate in these technologies, right? So I would say that's the, that's the second challenge. And third, I will say is availability of data itself. Because the thing is, 
your AI strategy, as I said, is dependent. You know, uh, the foundation has to be a data strategy. And for a data strategy, you need data. Mm. If you are a business who's not necessarily capturing data, for example, just a hypothetical example, um, I am a, a retail or a bank or whatever kind of business I am in, and I have a digital storefront. Uh, if I have a digital storefront, I know exactly what the customers are doing, who is coming, what options they are looking at, how much time they are spending, which product they are buying. Now, if I am if I'm not if I do not have a digital storefront, that means I don't have that consumer behavior data. Right. Yeah. So I would say availability of the data. Uh, is extremely important because uh, availability of data will give you a good data foundation and data, and then you can build a data strategy. Mm -hmm. And then a sound data strategy will help you build the right AI strategy, right? I would say these are the three things uh, that are critical to have a strategy in place, skills, uh, and most importantly, uh, in availability of data itself. Right? Okay. Those are the challenges, and I will say those are also the requirements that companies need to consider. Now, obviously, we, we are seeing, and we've just been speaking about it, how it's not just that it's already there and people are interested in it. We are seeing this huge interest and, and, and more people getting interested in it and more companies getting interested in it. Do you, can you shed me a little bit of light on the, on the future of this generative AI tech? And how do you see organizations in ASEAN and Malaysia incorporating generative AI into their business strategies already? So um, uh, we believe that this is the most disruptive technology that is out there to help businesses. Uh, and the application of generative AI is pretty much in every single sector. This is not just for the large companies or it is not just for the banks or the retail or the tech company. It is pretty much for everyone. Yeah. What we also believe is that generative uh, AI and large language models will help sort of level up the company so that in the past, what used to happen is if you're a large company with deep pockets, you would make investments in technology and get the benefit of it. Right. I would say generative AI and large language models, we get the smaller companies also to the same level of efficiency and competitiveness without having to make large investments in yeah. technology. Yeah. So in that sense, it will, the way we believe that generative AI and large language models will democratize access to information. And with that, it will help them make more competitive and efficient uh, as compared to their, their yeah. you know, the peers in, the, in, the, in their industry. Mm. So, uh, the, the use cases for this is pretty much, as I said, in every single business. Uh, the first area where we are seeing companies use generative AI and large language models is in the area of user productivity. I mean, the, the whole concept of co-pilots, right? I mean, whether you're communicating or summarizing emails or customer service data, this, the you know, and if you have millions of customers, and if you really need to summarize and understand what is their sentiment in terms of what they're saying about the company or the product or the brand, uh, you know, Generative AI and large language models can help you achieve that quickly, right? Mm. So we are seeing a lot of use cases related to customer, whether it is to be able to offer customers a better experience, to be able to offer the customer sentiment, uh, and 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 in response to that, uh, you know, offer better service to the client, which results in increasing the revenue. So we are seeing a lot of use cases in that area, uh, you know, in terms of servicing the customer better. User productivity is the, as I said, is the low-hanging fruit. Using a co-pilot to assist yourself uh, to do many things uh, is is the easy place to start. And then moving up the value chain to serving customers better. And then I will say, you know, moving up the value chain uh, for, for improving productivity and reducing risk and, and use cases like that. So that's what we see companies in ASEAN will end up using generative AI uh, mm -hmm. and large language models, right? And I must add one more thing. Like at Snowflake, our objective is to you know, help the companies who do not necessarily have the skills to, you know, embrace on these technologies or deploy these technologies to be able to do that, right? And the way we are doing that is by by building a platform which which allows companies to use generative AIs and large language models. Hold that uh, thought, Sanjay. Hold that thought. I want you to tell, tell me more about Snowflake's role. 
Just let me just take a short break. You can come back and explain that to me in depth when we come back after these messages. Absolutely. Folks, you're tuned in to Enterprise Biz Bites here on BFM 89.9. When we come back, of course, Sanjay will be going a little bit more in depth into, San into uh, Snowflake's role, uh, sharing some insights into how businesses uh, like Snowflake have been helping local organizations to unlock, unlock the value of their data. We'll be right back after these messages. BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM. 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. My name is Rich Bradbury. On the phone with me right now from Singapore is Sanjay Deshmukh. Yes, he is from uh, Snowflake. Um, now, uh, Sanjay, just before the, uh, the break, we were talking about the benefits of generative AI. And just before we wrapped up to go into the break, you were talking about Snowflake's role a little bit more. Um, and I interrupted you because we had ads and things that we need to get through. But tell me a little bit more about that. What what shares share with me some of the insights into how businesses like Snowflake have been helping local organizations to unlock Absolutely. the value of their data. Absolutely. Let me start with what I said right at the beginning of the conversation. Right. Uh, for every organization to have the AI strategy, they need a data strategy. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, if there's a one thing that the consumers can take away from this conversation is just that. Right. And once you understand that and, and internalize that then you will start thinking, how do I build my data strategy? How do I get my data together in one place? How do I protect my data? And then I will enable these technologies, the power of AI on top of the data, right? Yeah. Now, if you look at our history, we've been in business for 11 years. Uh, you know, We started by disrupting data warehousing and data analytics. Uh, and we did that by leveraging cloud technologies and creating a data platform on cloud so that customers can bring any amount of data into one place and have any amount of power that is needed mm. to answer all of these questions. So that's how we disrupted data analytics uh, in our first phase of our journey. In the second phase of our journey, we disrupted data collaboration, which means companies can start collaborating with their ecosystem by sharing data in a real time and a secure manner. And in the current phase of our evolution, our goal is to democratize AI. We talked about it earlier. One of the biggest challenges is skills. Yeah. Not every company has skills to start using Gen AI and large language models. You know, uh, The way we are trying to solve that problem is by, is by creating a platform, what we call it as Cortex. What Cortex does is, I will say, is two things. One, uh, it solves the security problem that I talked about earlier by bringing the large language models closer to your data rather than sending your data to the large language models. So is it on-prem? Uh, it is in the cloud running as a service. Right. So your data is also in the cloud and your large language model will be running the cloud. But this is in the in the Snowflake uh, uh, instance. Got Snowflake it. is a service that runs on the cloud. Got it. So And which is completely governed by the customer. Right, so right, right. You're not sending your data to a, another foundation model hosted somewhere else. Your large language model is... Uh, hosted next to your data, right? So that's right. the first way we are solving the problem. Yeah. And the the easiest way to remember that for consumers, I will say, is this phrase which says that, you know, data has gravity. If you, again, again understand and internalize this concept that data has gravity, you will realize that, you know, everything has to come to data and data should not go out. Mm. So whether it is a large language model or an AI application, it should be coming to the data and running next to the data so that your data is protected. That's the first thing that Snowflake allows uh, for customers to do. The second thing that we are doing to solve the skills problem is, so we are hosting these large language models and we are converting them into functions. So for example, I'm a bank, I have a call center, I have got millions of customers. I don't have skills to deploy a large language model, but I want to understand the sentiment of my customers when they are calling my customer call service center. Mm. How do I solve that? Mm. We have hosted a, let's say, Lama 2 large language model, uh, you know, built by Meta. And uh, we have converted that uh, into a function called as summarize. 
So I, as a technical person of the bank or a data analyst of the bank, I can simply feed all the customer call service text and just write one or two or a few lines of program in Python, which is a very common programming language, and, and call this function called as summarize. So I, as a data analyst or as a you know data programmer using Python, I might not even know or realize that I'm, I'm actually using the power of large language modeling generative AI in order to summarize the text of my call center uh, customers who, who are calling my, uh, my my call center, right? Right. So this is what we are trying to do so that you don't need to have you know, rocket scientist who knows, who understand uh, generative and large language model, and your existing data analyst and uh, data practitioner should be able to use the power of this technology by just calling the function. And we will do all the hard work behind the scene and, you know, you know use all those large language models and give you the summarized input right. so that you and your customer better. Two things we are trying to do, protect the data of the customers by bringing the large language models to there. And second, make it very user-friendly so that people start calling functions uh, to, to use the large language models. It, it's like what you said earlier on, it's democratizing things. Absolutely. That's right. the goal that we have to democratize access to these disruptive technologies for a lot of our customers. Mm, because in the end, we all benefit from it. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Now, um, let's talk just very briefly about the, the data economy blueprint here in Malaysia. Um, the Malaysia Digital Economy Blueprint emphasizes the adoption of cloud tech. How do you think this initiative will impact the nation's goal of leading the regional digital economy by 2030? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, again, it, it doesn't matter what business you are in, whether it is a, a retail banking or a manufacturing or a services industry, you know, everybody stands to benefit from the use of cloud as a technology and all the services that come along with cloud. And data is, by the way, data and AI will be one of the services that will be available to the companies through the cloud, right? Uh, the first thing that it will help them to do is is to improve efficiency. If you look at the Malaysia digital blueprint, that there is a huge emphasis on improving the efficiency and productivity by 30%, right? So I would say the cloud and the data and AI uh, technologies will contribute in a big way in helping companies uh, improve their efficiency and productivity. Mm. The second factor is that uh, if you look at the Malaysia uh, blueprint, it talks about the, the digital economy will contribute almost 22 plus percent uh, in the GDP, right? Mm. And and by use of technologies like cloud services and data and AI, uh, the Malaysian companies and enterprises will be able to achieve that goal of uh, to be able to contribute more than 22% in the Malaysian GDP, right? Mm. So that's what we believe. Uh, it will also, you know, again, it depends on what business you are in. We believe that it will also drive a lot of innovation culture. I mean, whether you are a, a life sciences company trying to make drugs or you are uh, a tech company who is trying to build products and services for the global market, it will help you bring in innovation by leveraging technologies like cloud services, data and AI, mm. uh, and become more competitive and in turn contribute uh, in the economy. Now, the, there are reports out there that, that suggest, according to the IDC, in fact, 70% of uh, Asia-Pacific C-suite executives are exploring generative AI in one way or another. Are you seeing this? Are you hearing about this? I would say the aspirations to become a data-driven enterprise, we are seeing that across the board. Right, every company that we speak to, particularly the board or the CEO or the senior level executives, everybody recognizes and has the aspiration to become a data-driven enterprise. Uh, the question is in terms of how they get there and how much time it takes. Right. The reason is because technology is only one part of the solution, uh, but there are other things like people, process, and skills, uh, which are the ones which takes the most time. Mm. Our role is to help on the technology side and also assist the customers in helping them in the people process transformation side. Right, but uh, I would say that number is much higher than 70% in terms of aspirations. 
Mm. How many of them are actually taking actions and making investments? Probably that number is around 70%. But I would say aspirations are 90 plus percent of the people have aspirations to become a data-driven enterprise. Now, on the flip side, there is, a, of course, you know, pushback and a little bit of resistance to change. Um, and we saw some of this at the beginning of the pandemic. For example, you know, some companies didn't realize or, or didn't really want to go digital. They were having difficulties digitalizing. And of course, a lot of those companies either got left behind or disappeared, in fact, uh, many of them. When there is a company that is resistant to change, uh, particularly when it comes to stuff like um, Gen AI or, or even moving into cloud co- uh, cloud computing, what kind of discussions do you, do you have with them and how do you help them along that path, you know, especially when it is in the context of, of, of uh, cloud adoption and, and AI? As I said, our major role is uh, to offer the technology platform. Yeah. But at the same time, we also assist the customers in the people process transformation side. Uh, the two things that we do there, first, I will say, is skills and enablement. Yeah. Um, when they learn the technology and understand how it can help them improve productivity and do their job better, I think the resistance goes away and they are ready to embrace that. They have to have that aha moment. Absolutely. They have to have that themselves. Right? And the yeah. second thing that we do is, I will say, create the champions. So, for example, I'm I'm a company and I've got, you know, whatever X number of employees in my organization. If, if I see one of my colleagues uh, benefiting from it, and if I see one of my colleagues telling the story in terms of how he or she benefited. So that's what is creating a champion means. Yeah. Uh, you know, then it helps me understand better. Oh, I mean, if somebody else is benefiting uh, by this technology, I need to embrace the same. So we, we help the companies in building skills and we help the companies in creating these champions and amplifying the messaging of this champion within the organization. And that helps drive adoption. I will say there is one very important underlying element that is needed to achieve this and which is executive sponsorship. Right. Uh, employees watch the tone of what the leadership is saying and what the leadership is doing. Yeah, I'm a CEO of a company. I'm doing an all hands or a you know employee town hall, and I'm talking to investors or anybody, right? And if you see me emphasize the use of data and my aspirations of you know making the company data driven, and I use data to articulate strategy and things like that, employees are watching that, mm-hmm. right? And so that sets the tone, and that executive sponsorship is needed or required if you truly want to become a data-driven enterprise. So I will say executive sponsorship, of course, a platform and you know, technology platform like Snowflake helps, but more importantly, building skills, building champions that will help drive adoption of all of these concepts. I like the idea of building champions. I mean, I, I remember just a few months ago when early on in the year, maybe February, March time, when uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT, of course, was becoming a lot more mainstream, there was that period of time where the people that were using it and clearly benefiting from it were almost in a way gatekeeping, you know, because they were a little bit scared that people were challenging them on how are you being so efficient? How is your work so quick? How are you managing to get it all out so so quickly? And I think there was an element of not gatekeeping, but almost being shy and a little bit of guilt about, you know, I'm using a tool that's making me much more efficient. Did you see any of that? Have you heard of that? You know, people discussing that kind of ideal? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, uh, the you know, the, you will see that in adoption of every new technology. Yeah. We will have the innovators jump right straight into it, uh, start benefiting from it, and then the early adapters will sit on the fence and watch. Right. Uh, they will be a little bit more pragmatic in their outlook in terms of, oh, is this real? They might challenge it. Oh, is this really... But the, what's the value of it and so on and so forth. And once they get answers to all those questions, then they will participate in it. Yeah. So we, we will, you will see that whether it is a consumer technology or is an enterprise technology or a 
disruptive technology like Gen AI and LLM, you will see that kind of behavior mm -hmm. uh, in terms of adoption every single time. Okay. Need to take another short break here, uh, Sanjay. Uh, folks, I'm on the phone with uh, Sanjay Deshmukh. Um, we are talking about generative AI, of course. He is from Snowflake. Um, if you need to get in touch with us, get us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number, 018-789-8899, of course. Sanjay is the Senior Regional Vice President of uh, ASEAN and India at Snowflake. They're a cloud computing-based data cloud company. Uh, I'm going to take a short break, and when I come back, we briefly touched on a little bit about it, Sanjay, but I want to kind of explore a little bit about security, perhaps, data value, uh, and maybe some partnerships before we wrap up and I'll let you go for the afternoon. We'll be right back, folks, here on Enterprise BizBytes on BFM 89.9. Build fortunes modestly. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to uh, Enterprise BizBytes, of course, I am Rich Bradbury. It is the Friday, the 1st of December, and we are exploring how Malaysian SMEs can leverage on the growth of uh, generative AI and what implications it brings to the business ecosystem as we head into 2024. Uh, I'm on the phone with Sanjay uh, Deshbuk. He is the Senior Regional Vice President of ASEAN and India at Snowflake. They are a cloud computing-based data cloud company. And if you want to get in touch, 018-789-8899. Um, thanks for sticking around, Sanjay. Um, I guess one of the most important topics, and we, we've touched on it briefly, um, is security. And as you say, there has even been examples uh, of companies, very large companies, in fact, that have been putting data into some of these generative AI models. Um, and so people have been become concerned about that. It's indeed paramount when it comes to the idea and, and the usage of generative AI. Um, what do you think are some of the better ways that organizations can uh, ensure secure implementation of generative AI in their ops, especially when dealing with sensitive data. You mentioned a piece about how you guys, you have your own instances. That's one way of doing things. Are there other ways of doing it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to share very three sort of simple, but yet very profound principles to solve this problem, right? So first, just on the problem, completely agree the, the, the first and the most important thing that companies need to think about before uh, embracing any of these technologies is this whole concept of a, a data platform and governance. Yeah. Because if you don't think about it, you know, there is going to be huge risk. Yeah. You Your data lands somewhere else. You're training a model, an external model with your data and IP that somebody or competitors will benefit, right? You lose your customer's trust. If you are in a regulated industry, you might end up getting fines and so on and so forth. And it can have a serious impact on your business. So I think this is clearly the number one concern that we see across the board. And, and data governance is an important aspect. So yeah. I'm going to suggest... I will say very three simple uh, principles, but they are very profound in, in our view, right? Um, the first is to get all of the data in one place. And um, in, in speaking in other terms, I will say, is to break down the silos of data that exist in every enterprise. And what I'm sharing with you is, is exactly what the situation is with every single enterprise, whether it is a bank, retail, manufacturing. They have created data silos over a period of time. Uh, and the reason that our silos have been created are different reasons. Sometimes it is technology reasons, Sometimes it is somebody wants control on the data, hence they want their own silo uh, data in their own silo and so on and so forth. So that's the situation today. Um, even uh, technologies like AIML, data scientists wants to create a model, they take the data out, put it in their machine or some other server in the cloud, and they start building models. Mm. The first step in improving data governance or solving this problem is to bring all of the data into one place. Think about it this way conceptually. If your data is in one place, you can protect it. If it is in 100 locations, how do you protect it? Right. That's that. Yeah, yeah. 
Our goal at Snowflake is to help companies achieve that. And because ours is a service that runs on the cloud, there is almost infinite infrastructure available for you to bring data into one place. Mm. You cannot do it otherwise because you will not be able to get access to so much of infrastructure in one place, right? Mm. So that's the first step. Uh, let's call it in simple words, creating single source of truth. Yeah. Right? yeah. If that makes sense, or you can call it breakdown silos, use whichever words that you want, but that's the first principle. The second principle is put a governance framework around that deal. Define what you want to protect. Because if you are a company which is in a consumer business, uh, you know, the, the thing that you really want to protect is the PII information of the customers, right? Names and, you know, yeah. national IPs and whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, the rest of the information is actually okay. It's not that, you know, uh, even if it lands somewhere, it is not going to mean anything to anyone, okay? So first decide, you know, put a governance layer around the data, decide what you want to protect. Once you identify what you want to protect, then you decide what policies you want to use to protect it. And there are different technologies available in platforms like Snowflake. You can mask the data, right? Mm -hmm. So that even if it lands somewhere, Nobody will make any sense out of it. You can encrypt the data, right? So again, if there is a compromise, nobody will make any sense out of it, right? So uh, you can tokenize it and so on and so forth. There are there are many ways to protect that information. So decide what to protect, then decide uh, how you're going to protect it. And then you can also do what is called a role-based access, very powerful and very sort of important that every company wants to use. What that simply means is that if my role is of a data analyst for marketing function, I will only see that data. If my role is of a finance user, I will only see that data. So role-based access. Mm. Uh, and the third thing is make sure that this gets implemented every single time, which means if I'm a data scientist building a model or asking a question, if I'm an executive looking at a dashboard, this, these policies should get implemented every single time, irrespective of who's doing it and what they're doing with it, right? Mm. So that's the second step. First step for single source of truth. Second step is put a governance layer around it. And the third step, uh, the best way to remember that is uh, data has gravity, which I said earlier. What yeah. that means that whether you're building an application, whether you're doing an AI ML function or a generative AI or a large language model, um, uh, you're deploying that, everything has to come to the data. Uh, data does not go to the application, data does not go to the large language model, and data does not go to any data scientist for AI ML function. Mm. Everything comes to the data, right? So, and, and we again enable that from Snowflake platform where we allow companies to uh, run large language models and AI ML applications next to the data, right? Mm. So that it is all secure. We believe that if companies use these three simple principles, single source of truth, uh, data, data governance policy, uh, you know, and, and making sure it is implemented all the time, and last but not the least is following this rule of data has gravity and bring the large language models and AI applications to data, uh, then companies will be able to protect their most important asset, and yet they'll also be able to benefit and get value from these technologies like Gen AI and, and LLM. I hope that sense, Richard. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, I, I guess one of the the, the kind of uh, I've got two more questions, but this is going to be the the, the penultimate question: collaboration and, and and partnerships. Are there any collaborative initiatives or partnerships that organizations like Snowflake uh, can engage in to further support tech advancements and digital transformation goals in this region? Uh, I, I'm going to talk about collaborations in two aspects. One is how we enable collaborations for our customers, and second is and how we are collaborating as, as a business ourselves. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk about just two, these two aspects. The first is collaborations for our customers. So I'll, I'll start with a very simple example to understand this, right? Let's say I'm a consumer goods company. I'm making products which are being sold to consumers. It can be anything. It can be um, you know, food products. It can be fashion products, whatever that is, right? Yeah. Think about it this way. How do I know who's buying my product, what their preferences are? How do I know what more to make and stuff like that? I have no knowledge of that because that information is with my retailer, right? I'm making the products and giving it to the retailer. And that is being sold either through a store or an online store or through a marketplace, right? 
all of that information about consumers and their preferences is with the retailer. Mm. Now, the, there ha- we, we want to enable collaboration between these, these two entities in the ecosystem so that the manufacturer, in this case, the, of the consumer good, is able to get real-time secured access to data of what the consumer wants, what their preferences are. And if the retailer is able to share that with the consumer good company, they will be able to have all the right products stocked uh, in their store, um, digital store or physical store, whatever that is, so that they can serve the customers better. So this is a great example of collaboration. These kind of collaboration examples exist in every single industry. In the financial services industry, it exists between uh, a bank and a fintech or a, a, or another one, or a fintech and a lending company and so on and so forth, right? We want to make sure that these collaborations happen on real-time data in a, in a secure way. Right. So that one thing that we are enabling as a company from a collaboration standpoint. Now, when I look at it from our own business perspective, uh, of course, we are collaborating with multiple technology partners. We are collaborating with the hyperscalers. We work very closely with AWS. We work very closely with Azure. Uh, so if any of these companies are using Azure and AWS, they get to use the Snowflake data platform service. They get to buy it from the marketplace. We also collaborate with companies like NVIDIA, uh, you know, because they are the ones who yeah. are giving us the the processing power, the brain yeah. uh, that we need for these large language models. Uh, we announce a partnership with them uh, and we make the GPUs available to support the large language models. Uh, and as I said, we abstract all of that from the from the customer so that they don't need to get into this complexity. They can just consume AI as a function uh, in their application. Mm. So those are the other collaborations that we do. And then last but not the least, we collaborate with a lot of local partners in Malaysia, the services companies, the consulting companies, because these are the companies who are talking to the end customer and helping them uh, either build a data strategy or helping them uh, build a, you know, take their applications to cloud. So we also work with a lot of companies uh, in that space. Busy, busy, busy then over at Snowflake. Absolutely, Richard. This is a good time to be in the data business, I must say. <laughs> I can imagine. Right. And I guess the, the kind of the last question that, that I have for you, and, and this is kind of, it's a difficult question because if I'd have asked this question at the beginning of the year, we wouldn't even know what where we would be right now. And it's I, I'm, I'm asking you, as we approach the end of the year, what do you see as some of the, I guess, predictions for 2024 when it comes to generative AI um, and and how it might affect the workforce moving next year? I mean, I people asked me at the beginning of this year, February, you know, what can we expect by the end of the year? I, I, I couldn't tell them because it it has advanced so quickly uh, and it, almost like a hockey stick, you know. It, so I, and, and, I'm, and I appreciate that I'm putting you on the spot asking you the same question. But what are you, some of your predictions for 2024? Um, I would say okay. The again three three predictions I would say. The first one, uh, when I was in in university, right, the most common programming language was C, C plus plus, and stuff like that. Same, yes. Later and later, same age group. Okay, we'll discuss that later. <laughs> <laughs> So, and then of course, uh, uh, came in some very you know, user-friendly sort of programming environments and stuff like that. Um, and then Python and, and and all of that stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, the first prediction is that from next year, 2024 onwards, the most popular programming language is going to be English. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, that's what AI is doing to businesses. Yeah. Right? Uh, it is, you know, lowering the barrier of skills or techn- technical skills that are needed to interact with data. Mm. You don't need to know SQL. You don't need to know Python. You don't need to know any other programming language to interact with data. Yeah. All you need to know is simple English to ask business questions. Yeah. That's the first prediction. And we will see uh, more and more companies use that. So think of it this like a co-pilot. 
where I'm a brand manager of a retailer and I need to know performance of my product. All I need to do is ask questions. What was the sale of this brand? What is the sentiment of consumers? What are they saying about my brand and so on and so forth? Mm. Uh, and that's the role that we are playing at Snowflake. We will do the magic behind the scene, uh, take the large language model, take the data, put the governance layer, create an answer and give it to the user. Mm. So that's the first trend. And English will become the most popular programming language from 2024 and onwards, right? Uh, the second thing that we see is with, with all the good, there is always a bad, right? So what I mean by that is while there is this super popularity of all the large language models and foundational models, we believe that the AI data supply chain will be, under, will be a target of attack, right? The, you know, it is bound to happen. That means some bad elements of the society will try to infiltrate these models uh, with uninformed the models with some wrong data and basically uh, embed it with some bias, which means that if you as a company are using that, you are bound to get some biased results, which somebody has intentionally planted in the model. Right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, you know, we suspect that it will happen. Uh, and obviously there are ways to solve that. One of the ways to solve that, as I said, is to bring the model, uh, implement it next to the data, train it on your data, right? And then use it rather than using it just the way it is, right? So there are ways to protect it, but we, we will see that more and more this will happen in the uh, foundational model, which are hosted outside. Mm -hmm. uh, it can impact businesses, but it will also impact a lot of questions that consumers are asking, right? Uh, that is what we believe the second thing. And third, going back to what we started of the conversation is that we really believe that next year, uh, we will see many companies truly achieve the goal of becoming a data-driven enterprise. And then what makes anybody a data-driven enterprise? You know, getting data in one place, enabling everybody uh, you know, access to the data, democratizing access to data, putting a proper governance layer so you're protecting the data, and embracing technology like JDI and LLM so that people are able to use the power of this technology to disrupt the business. Right? Mm. Those are the three things I we, we hope to see in 2024, uh, Richard, you know, in, from, from where we are right now. Sanjay, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fascinating. Thanks uh, for having me, Richard. It was great talking to you, and uh, I hope this was uh, a lot relevant to you and your users. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I'll be having to get you back on the show again where we can have a much more in-depth conversation and we can just completely nerd out, and I would have a lot of fun with that. Absolutely, Richard. Looking All forward to that. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Of course, that was uh, Sanjay De uh, Deshmukh, the regional reg uh, sorry, senior regional vice president of ASEAN and India at Snowflake. If you missed any part of this conversation, uh, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast players. Just search for Enterprise Biz Bites. Stick around, of course. We've got the Breakfast Grill replay coming up after the 1 o'clock news bulletin. Keep it here on BFM 89.9. The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.